everyone, it's Mike Coppinger along with Lance Pugmire. Thanks again for joining us on the Pogan Cop Boxing Show. We have a lot to get into today. We're going to look into the ongoing drama, the blood feud between Eddie Hearn and Lou DiBella that spilled onto Twitter related to the Katie Taylor Amanda Serrano fight that's not happening. We're going to talk about Jorge Linares fighting Javier Fortuna and all the depth at 130 to 140 pounds and much, much more. All right, Lance, big news of the weekends. Uh, Boxing World shell shocked as we broke the news that Jarrell Big Baby Miller has once again tested positive for a performance-enhancing substance. The heavyweight contender was slated to make his comeback from another PED uh, mishap last year when he was supposed to challenge heavyweight champion Anthony Joshua, tested positive for three different banned substances last year, uh, was released by Eddie Hearn, signed with Bob Arum in top rank. They had him set to fight Jerry Forrest on July 7th in an ESPN main event. That fight is now off, we're told. He tested positive last week for something called GW1516. And it's actually one of the three substances that Jarrell Miller tested positive for last year. Yes, three, where he had that fight with Joshua Scrapped. Uh, last year it was EPO, HGH, and GW1516. And GW1516 once again caught in his system. Um, according to sources, and he is out of that fight with Forrest. It's a, a substance that helps improve your endurance, uh, much like EPO. And, you know, I see a lot of people now outraged calling for a lifetime ban of Jarrell Miller. This is now the third time he's been caught doping. You know, look, and this is assuming it's uh, the B sample comes back and everything. You know, a lot of times we have discrepancies where someone says it was in their system from last year. I don't want to speculate. But if it's adjudicated and it was proven that Drew Miller has tested positive, well, not tested positive, but has doped again last, do you think he should be banned for life? Because we have to remember, he also tested positive when he was competing in glory kickboxing back in 2014. So this would be the third strike. Yeah, it would be the third strike, Mike. But I think part of the problem is, is that, you know, after he had those three positives um, connected to the Anthony Joshua fight, where he was to earn, I believe, around $6 million for that fight, blew that opportunity he really didn't get uh dinged other than you know that that fight not happening he didn't really get suspended or um uh, penalized in a in a a steep way by the new york uh state athletic commission and so the suspension in my opinion should have already been in play right to uh, to have at least limited his ability to be engaging in this fight so so soon after uh, after that one but look the fact is is that now he's uh, tested positive again. Let's be honest. He's not going to get a lifetime ban. I mean, does he deserve one? You you would look at it, you know, after knowing all this stuff, you and me as laymen say, absolutely, this guy should not be fighting. He is in a blood sport. He is putting another man's uh, life at stake with w- what he's doing there in the ring. And, you know, he's he's been, you know, let's let's be honest. Uh, identified as a proven cheater so he should he should be banned for life but he won't be he will be uh dinged in some way by the uh nevada uh, state athletic commission and he will continue to uh fight again you know down the road right but i think the question for me and others is is should he be banned for life and I, i wrestle with that on the one hand you know this guy is like i said we're assuming this is adjudicated i don't we don't want to blame anyone just yet but assuming it's adjudicated, Jerome Miller would have, you know, tested positive ahead of three different fights that we know of. You know, 
PED testing in boxing is incredibly lax. It's a huge issue facing the sport. God knows how many different guys are actually doping. It's quite easy to cycle on and cycle off when you, you know that you're not being tested year-round. You're fighting two, three times at most a year if you're on the high ends, and you have ample time to cycle on and off, and you're only being tested at most 60 days ahead of a fight. It's a big, big problem. No, you know, it's one of the big issues of a sport that has no central governing body that is so splintered. And I don't see this problem going away until there is there are examples made until be, testing is more comprehensive. The, you know, like you said, Lance, this is a blood sport. It's dangerous enough as it is. You're trying to separate somebody from their senses. Jarrell Miller is a 300 plus pound man who's six foot four and threw a dizzying, sometimes thousand punches in a fight. I mean, this is a guy who had an incredible motor. And you wonder, does he have, did he have this motor because of doping? We saw mm-hmm. guys like Lance Armstrong use EPO because EPO, what it does is it not only multiplies your red blood cells, but it makes them bigger. So it's kind of like, if, you know, if you think of the red blood cells as a, as a vessel carrying oxygen, it's making that, maybe it's turning that canoe into a yacht. And no. it, it's just incredible what it does. I mean, you know, I, I've seen the Lance Armstrong 30 for 30. I was actually watching it this weekend where he talks about how greatly it helps you in an endurance sport. And boxing definitely is an endurance sport. Um, Tour de France, obviously, is the ultimate endurance sport there. But you're trying to knock somebody somebody's head off here. So I don't know. Like you said, Lance, Jarrell Miller, he had, there was a, a technicality. Because it wasn't a lot of times boxers aren't even licensed until – weeks ahead of the fight. He wasn't licensed last year when he tested positive and had the Anthony Joshua fight and that career high payday fall by the wayside. But I'm told he was licensed this time. So I do expect Nevada to throw the book at him and maybe even California too. Um, you know, I, I question, you know, I, I think everyone deserves second chances. I always want to believe that people can change, but yeah. you know, maybe a five-year ban for this. I don't know. The guys, I think the guy is 31 years old now. He is a quality heavyweight. He hasn't. He has a great big mouth. He, right. I think he, you know, he could have. He could have been a star, right, Lance? But no doubt about this it. This guy hasn't fought since November 2018. So we need to figure something out here. No doubt about it. Nice guy, real funny guy, Mike. He's got a ton of personality and and more power to him on that front. But the bottom line is, is that everything that happened in New York, you know, the fact he wasn't licensed. I mean, that's that loophole is part of the problem with the sport. So boxing has, a, boxing has established loopholes that it needs to address, and it's on the sport to fix itself. The other, the other thing that really fell uh, by the wayside here with Big Baby Miller is, like you said, the, the scrutiny of, of testing this guy throughout. I mean, from the time that he expressed interest in or he had even signed with Top Rank and then was uh, scheduled to come back and fight again, there was significant period, according to the people that I've, ta- I've talked to, to where there wasn't even uh, testing in play, that it was only you know of late that he was basically re-enrolled in some kind of testing program that uh, found this substance in, in him. I mean, if anyone deserves to be on round-the-clock testing, it's a guy who's tested positive for three substances, blowing his opportunity at a heavyweight uh, title fight. So, um, you know, look, I know the promoters are in a hurry to cash in on, on a guy like this, but they should also be accountable to their sport and to the uh, to the uh, opponent that is going to be stepping into the ring against the, uh, this this fighter who they they believe is you know mm-hmm. a bound for a heavyweight title shot at some point. You know, honestly, but, I think but, that's, that's the problem, yeah. Lance. Like you said, yeah. the promoters 
aren't accountable. They want to make stars. And they right. see Jarrell Miller, a guy who's in action fights, who has looks the part. He's a good-looking guy. He has the right look. He's flashy. He talks a tremendous amount of shit. You know, those Anthony Joshua press conferences were a lot of fun. He was going after yeah. Joshua's mother, all kinds of stuff. And Top Rank obviously said to themselves, all right, we have the best heavyweight in the world, Tyson Fury. We can make a huge Tyson Fury, Jarrell Miller fight down the line. We know boxing is a sport that pretty much looks past PED violations. I mean, Sugar Shane Mosley is in the hall, is going into the Hall of Fame. He's a guy that was connected to Victor Conti and took EPO and admitted drug cheat. And there's plenty of drug cheats, like a guy and guys that have legitimate, credible suspicions surrounding them. So it's hard to single out just Jarrell Miller when we don't know who else is testing positive. But as I'm saying, I think it has to fall on more than the promoters. There has to be something instituted where it's 365 testing, where you can be tested out of competition, in competition. Uh, we started Onito Donaire a couple of years ago, signed up for the VADA 365 yeah. testing. And I think it's the only way to really go forward. But the question, Lance, and you know, you know the commissions better than anyone who covers boxing. How can we band together to make sure that testing is just comprehensive and isn't left to the devices of the promoters and individual one-off events? Well, look, I think it, you know, not to, uh, uh, you know, give them too, too much praise, but I do think that the World Boxing Council with their clean boxing program is trying to institute some kind of like worldwide uniform testing program that would apply, um, to all of the, its top 15 fighters in each weight class. To me, that's a good idea that all the sanctioning bodies should uh, try to follow along with. I know that that is on hi hiatus basically right now during uh, COVID-19, but you're right, especially in this country, the Association of Boxing Commissions, that's why they exist, to have a uniform type policy that is in effect. And look, even if a guy's not fighting in a certain state, maybe it's a specific commission where it's the, it's the fighter's home state can help engage and, 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 um, you know, fund some of this testing that needs to be done so they can be checking on these guys. Especially Mike, you know, this, I mean, it's, it's the same thing goes, as you said, in the, in the tour de France and Victor Conti, um, who led the Belco, um, uh, situation said this for forever. It's about the most talented fighters. Sorry that, you know, you come, you come, equipped with the skepticism attached to you but the, per, the 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 athletes that are doing the best those are the people that deserve the most scrutiny those are the most talented those possibly could be the uh the ones who are cheating so those are yep. the people you focus in on and if you're not boxing then you're going to uh, have situations like this where you're going to be left with egg on your face and how does this feeling, how is this feeling right now that Jarrell uh, Big Baby Miller's fight has been canceled? Look to you. How are you enjoying this moment right now? Because you, you have not confronted this, this monster that kind of looms in the shadows and does kind of stain. Uh, Mike, I mean, I, I know you're close with Tony Bailu, the, the heavyweight from the UK, and he's very out, outspoken on this because he's a guy who has not cheated. And it's like, you know, all these guys who are uh, working hard and paying their dues and doing everything that we expect of, uh, of boxers at the highest level are being kind of brought in under this umbrella because of the big baby Millers of the world. And it's not well, fair. Look, I think, I think a big problem. And like, again, this is covered greatly in that Lance documentary on ESPN. And I recommend everyone watch it. And a lot of times what it was with the tour de France is a lot of the guys were seeing, seeing others pass them by and they realized the other guys were doping and they weren't. So it's pretty mm -hmm. much if you weren't doping, you couldn't hang with the best. 
And I'm sure right. that's the case in boxing and other sports too, where maybe you don't want to dope and you see others doping and then you say, all right, uh, either I, either if I do this and I can join them and maybe beat them or I can't compete otherwise. Uh, that's not to excuse anybody, of course, but to kind of explain the domino effect doping has. Absolutely. And, you know, this isn't guys riding on bicycles. This is, these are guys that it's increasing their power. It's increasing their reaction time, increasing their endurance. It's just really fucking dangerous. You so, know, yeah. Mike, one of those yeah. things that goes along with that, I mean, along with the Lance Armstrong documentary was the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa documentary that was also on ESPN. And look, that whole summer when that was going on, I don't know how you felt in watching those two guys go at it, but especially with, with McGuire, it's like, why are, why are they heaping so much praise on this guy whose body has significantly changed? And you can tell, I mean, they had reports during the season that this guy was up to no good. Why are we sitting here praising this guy? But McGuire says in the documentary, look, point blank, I knew that there wasn't uh, testing taking place. So basically it was open season to do whatever you needed to do to be at your best. You know, he said it was about, you know, his body healing. Yeah, yeah. It's also about, you know, you becoming like uh, the size of two babe roots. So, you know, <laughs> let, let's be honest. I mean, that window, Mike, exists right now in boxing and the sport has to be committed to addressing it in a very significant way or, you know, it risks um, having something happen where, you know, we uh, the fighter is testing positive after a fight in which the opponent has been seriously injured. And that's the last thing anyone in the sport wants. I don't care what you think of uh, individuals in, in boxing and their shady uh, reputation. No one in the sport wants that and uh, you know, let's be honest, it, it could have happened with uh, uh, Big Baby, you know, about two weeks away from his fight. All right, Lance. So, you know, Jerome Miller now is going to be on temporary suspension by the Nevada, Nevada State Athletic Commission. And they're going to try to adjudicate this in the coming weeks. And we're going to see what happens with him. But moving on, we had more drama over the weekend. It was a um, chaos filled weekend here in boxing with Eddie Hearn and Lou DiBella engaging in a war of words on Twitter over the now failed negotiations, if you can call it that, for the Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor fight. And this was a fight that was going to feature two of the four top pound-for-pound fighters in women's boxing, a big fight for a sport that hasn't moved the needle, especially in the U.S. Katie Taylor, an Olympic gold medalist, a big star in Ireland, and Amanda Serrano, I believe, has won titles in like seven weight classes or something. I can't yes. keep up with what. Exactly. Um, you know, really good fight, um, and that was supposed to be May 2nd in Manchester on the undercard of Dillian White versus Alexander Povetkin. Serrano is going to make $300,000, which is quite a lot for a woman, and uh, pretty good for a male, too, even, especially, I mean, talking about the boxing marketplace. And, you know, coronavirus obviously canceled those plans. Eddie Hearn tried to move the fight to July. Uh, Lou DiBella was hesitant, but, you know, Serrano's promoter, but he agreed, and what we happen have have happened eventually is Eddie Hearn tried to reduce Amanda Serrano's purse by 20%. Lou and Amanda Serrano balk. Eddie tries to move the fight to August 22nd on, again on the undercard of White Pavekin from you know his backyard at the Matchroom headquarters. And there turns out we reported that Amanda Serrano, thinking the fight wasn't going to take place until later in the fall because she wanted fans to get the full purse, she signed up to do this hit reality show called. Ex Exetalon, 
I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's <laughs> not Telemundo. It's a Spanish language uh, reality show with obstacle courses. The winner gets 200,000. This is an incredibly popular show. So, you know, Eddie Hearn does eventually offer her the full purse for August 22nd. And by that time, she says that she doesn't want to go over there because of the pandemic or fighting in Eddie Hearn's backyard. Eddie Hearn contends that really this is about the reality show. He sends a cease and desist to Telemundo saying that they're interfering with his contract for the Serrano-Taylor fight. And Telemundo um, subsequently pulls her from the reality show. And now we have a lot of back and forth with Ludabella pissed off about her getting pulled from the reality show and Eddie Hearn annoyed that this fight's not happening. And I wonder how this affects other guys that Ludabella has, like maybe a Regis program. You would think that the fight should happen then now, right, Mike? I mean, obviously, she's not getting the, <laughs> if she's not getting the money from the reality show, she has nowhere to go except to, to take this fight. And you've got basically two, two months of preparation time. So, look, like you said, women's boxing needs an event like this. And, yes, it's very nice for Amanda Serrano to have the op- opportunity to gain a lot of cash from the reality show. But I think she cares more about her uh, the well-being of her sport and for her to engage in this fight is something that is going to uh, do wonders, in my opinion, for for women's boxing. Because look, let's be honest: there are people who want to uh, dismiss it as basically like the uh, you know minor league type element of the sport. And we know, having uh, covered a lot of these uh, women, including Clarissa Shields, it's just not that. There, you know, some of these athletes are uh, some of the most fierce athletes that you run across, and. To see Katie Taylor, who, like you said, in documenting all of her success, and Amanda Serrano, who has been so good for so long, this was a natural fight. This was this was perfect for women's boxing, and this was perfect for you know this platform to really kind of flex its muscle. It's a damn shame that all of this has happened. Is there any way that this can be rectified, Mike? Yes, you know, like you said earlier, right? It makes sense for the fight to happen now. And talking to a lot of people in the industry over the weekend, they posed the same question to me. But you and I know it's never that simple. And there's now those hurt feelings. There's a lot of bad blood. Eddie Hearn and Luda Bella going at it on Twitter. Amanda Serrano involved. I, I don't think the fight's happening. I really don't. I think maybe, you know, it happens down the line. Katie Taylor is going to fight somebody else on August 22nd on an undercard of Dillian White of Alexander Povetkin. And it seems like for at least for now, this Serrano fight's falling by the wayside. Um, but look, like you said, she was set to earn three hundred thousand here, easily a career high payday. Luda Bella said in our story that Amanda Serrano probably earned fifteen thousand all of last year. So um, you got to figure, you know, maybe bet her, her feelings aside, you got to earn money, right? Exactly, exactly. And I, you know, I think that uh, again, I go back and a, a, the appeal should be made to Amanda Serrano, who has paid her dues in, in trying to build up women's boxing by winning all of these uh, world titles in so many different divisions. And she has to realize that with Katie Taylor now emerging as as really the face of women's boxing over in the UK, this is a great showdown. I mean, Amanda's got a ton of personality. Katie has, you know, she's a, a lot more quiet, but she has just this uh, incredible resolve and, and ability and willingness to uh, fight in the ring that is so damn impressive. Uh, you know, I really, really hope that these guys, I mean, we know them both. We can remember them uh, working together on that fight in Dallas, right? And they seem to be buddy-buddy, Eddie Hearn and Lou DiBella. So they need to, look, lay down your swords 
and figure out a way for the sake of women's boxing to get this deal done because anything anything less, including Katie Taylor fighting some anonymous opponent in August, is just not good enough and it's not what women's boxing needs. Right. So now I'm more interested in seeing what happens with um, you know with the Bella and Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn obviously really controls the zone boxing over there from a you know he's not the decision maker, but he's the one with the big budget over there. He co-promotes uh, any fighter that's trying to fight on the zone, and he has worked together with Luda Bella on Seven Farmer and on the man the Serrano. Actually, he was Serrano's co-promoter, and Regis Progre, as you, you know, you and I know, was looking at fighting Maurice Hooker. Uh, last last week we had Progre on the show, and he said that he would not go above 144 pounds. Remember, we said Hooker wanted 145, and the fight was falling apart over one pounds. I'm told now that the progress I came back to her in last Friday to say they would now indeed go to 145 to get the fight done. But it doesn't matter because apparently the fight is just now dead completely. And it doesn't seem like there's any hope whatsoever of salvaging it. Um, and progress, it looks like progress is not going to fight on the zone at all. I don't know where progress is going to head, but he's fielding other offers now. Uh, another, uh, you know, I was looking forward to progress hooker. It's too bad. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know they were talking about him fighting Eddie Pablo Cesar. I know that's now, now that appears to be dead as well. And I, I'm hearing that Julio Cesar, Martin, Julio Cesar Martinez, the 112-pound champion, is likely to be the headliner in that first The Zone show back in the U.S. Uh, with, you know, obviously Virgil Ortiz is going first in July. We can say Andy Vargas on July 24th. But the first uh, Zone matchroom card in the U.S. is likely to be headlines by Julio Cesar Martinez in August in the date that was supposed to be program versus hooker. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Mike. It is going to be worth watching to see what happens between Hearn and DeBella because, you know, while Eddie Hearn has, has definitely stepped in and has a, a pretty significant interest uh, in the U.S., so does Lou DeBella, especially on the East Coast, and his ability to um, get some of those fighters to the zone and to cooperate and work, you know, basically hand-in-hand with Eddie Hearn was going to be something that, you know, it's always in boxing's best interest to have promoters get along with each other and to be able to make fights with each other. So, you know, is this taking on a, uh, uh, Bob, Her- Bob Arum and Al Heyman Jr. The type of rivalry, or can these guys, <laughs> can these guys get together and, you know, and be buddies again? Yeah. We'll see if cooler heads prevail, but, uh, one fight that did get done, we reported on Friday, and I, I love this matchup. Jorge Linares against Javier Fortuna. That's a done deal for August 28th uh, on the zone, likely to land at Fantasy Springs in uh, California. Um, I think it's a fascinating matchup. You know, both Linares and Fortuna were in the running site, Ryan Garcia. Uh, of course, Ryan Garcia is at war with Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy Promotions right now. So, but look, this is an example of, of a, a good fight coming together because of drama. So, Glad we got something, and Lance, I know that you're. I know you're really enthused with the the depth he's had in boxing right now at 130 pounds, up to 140, and in between. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And I mean, let let me just hone in real quick on and, and great job. I mean, you've had such an incredible week breaking all these stories. You've done it really kicked ass. But I wanted to say, like this Lenaris Fortuna fight. You know, there's a lot of people on Twitter. I'm seeing people saying that uh, a lot of fighters are kind of like veering clear of uh javier fortuna but uh, i remember that conversation we had not too long ago with uh, jorge linares mike 
This is a guy who, you talk about everything you want in a boxer, someone who's not afraid to step into the ring against anyone and really kind of like, you know, reveal himself no matter what happens. And that's Jorge Linares. And he does deserve a lot of admiration again for what he's done here in stepping into this fight. Is that, did that strike you as well when you were uh, reporting on this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, both guys have a lot of balls. I think it's a fascinating 50-50 matchup. I think I lean to Linares. You know, he's the more athletic, bigger man. But Linares has been knocked out so many times now. I mean, he was knocked out by Pablo Cesar Cano last year. Uh, I think it was inside of one round at 140 pounds. Now he's back at 135. But this is a guy who's been stopped three or four times throughout his career. Questionable chin. Speed is great. Power is there. Javier Fortuna is more of a reckless fighter. But we've seen that Fortuna doesn't always let his hands go. When he lets his hands go, He's quite effective. Uh, a lot of us thought that he deserved the nod against Robert Easter Jr. Um, last year. Didn't get it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think if Fortuna just comes forward and can kind of try to impose his will, he can win this fight. But it's going to be one of those fights where the winner is definitely going to get a shot, whether it's against Devin Haney or someone else like that, because Fortuna was supposed to fight Luke Campbell on that undercard of Program Hooker in April. That was going to be for the WBC interim title. And now Haney's healthy. Haney's back restored as champion. Maybe we have Luke Campbell fighting Haney. I know I, I've been hearing rumors about Campbell versus Haney for a while now. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right, Mike. I mean, as you look at the, the list of these fighters, I mean, I just want to go over it real quick to really talk about how impressive it is. When you've got Shakur Stevenson, you know, after he told us that he's leaving featherweight division to go to 130, you've got... Um, Leo Santa Cruz and Gervonta Davis are going to be fighting um, in the fall. Uh, Miguel Burchelt stands at a 135-pound champion, and he looked really impressive on Saturday. We can talk a little bit more about that. Um, Tiafima Lopez and uh, Vasily Lomachenko, Oscar Valdez, Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, Jamel Herring, Jojo Diaz. I mean, all these guys... And then when you get into 140, even with Jose Ramirez and Josh Taylor there, it's almost to the point, Mike, where you say like, of this list that we, I've just read from, uh, I want I want to see these guys fighting each other for like the next you know three to five years and no one else because it's like, you know, it's there for the taking. All of these significant great fights that can be made with all of these um, you know special talents that are are, are there and and. I just think that the promoters now, it behooves them so much to try to work together and make these fights when you look at all of these uh, key personalities and all of these great fighters who are right around the, you know this general weight class of 130 and 140. Yeah, the fights are there to be made. They have to be actually made. <laughs> um, Burchelt is a rising star, so strong, such an exciting fighter. Um, he has a chance to be a star in Mexico. I hope we're going to get that fight against Valdez later in the year. I know Valdez has to take care of business next month. I think it's July 21st on ESPN. Mm -hmm. But uh, Bertel Valdez is a fascinating fight, and I, I, I favor Bertel big time there. Look, we, you know, we had Shakur on the show a few weeks ago. He said his number one fight is Miguel Bertel right now. Let's get Shakur Stevenson versus Bertel in the spring. Can you imagine see, that? Uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's just a great style contrast, right? You have the boxer yeah. and Shakur against a guy who comes forward and relentless body attack. Um, I, I, I think Lenaris Fortuna is right there too. And, you know, a lot of these guys who fight at 130 can fight at 135 and vice versa. So 
you know, a lot of flexibility. Let's hope we get these fights made. We have enough fights falling apart as it is. I mean, top rank, I think, has lost four main events in July alone. Um, or, you know, lost or rescheduled. We had the Ivan Baranchek as a pay fight, which I was really looking forward to at 140 yeah. pounds. Fall mm-hmm. through after Baranchek suffered a rib injury. That was supposed to be July 7th. Of course, Drill Miller is off uh, the July 9th show. Um, and Carlos Takam is stepping in to fight Jerry Forrest on that fight. Uh, Takam was originally supposed to fight Oscar Rivas the next month, which was a great fight. And Rivas got injured. And then the best fight, I think, on the whole ESPN summer schedule was Alito Alvarez versus Joe Smith. And Alvarez suffered a shoulder injury, and he's out of that too. So that's a damn top ranked team is a bit snake bitten right now. Well, and let's hope let's hope it doesn't happen, Mike. But I'm telling you, I mean, just by what we've uh, what we're observing in the news over the course of the last week, and all of the coronavirus numbers continuing to spike, you know, the the effort and the push to try to get Tiafima Lopez and Lomachenko in front of some fans on September 19th now seems in peril as well because it's like, look, the NBA is not doing it, MLB is not going to be doing it, doing it either is uh, the NHL. So how can boxing effectively get to a place, especially in September, when they can get fans, uh, you know, in attendance? And I know that they, you know, they're saying like something like 3,000 fans, but just the way it looks right now with, with the numbers spiking, especially out here west in California and Arizona and in Nevada, uh, how can this possibly happen? So it's, it's, it's unfortunate because Top Rank has done such a good job in trying to, just like the UFC has, in, in getting these fights on television and at least getting getting us some sporting action that we can you know ha- have to entertain ourselves with right yeah it definitely was a little promising at the moment and it's a shame because of all the fights we mentioned all the fights we want to see the one that was actually supposed to happen is one of the best that can happen Vasily Lomachenko against Teofimo Lopez and if it doesn't happen in September you never know with these things sometimes you think they're going to get rescheduled and they just don't you know, whether finances change or somebody gets injured or someone moves on to another fight, you just don't know. So let's hope for the best. There's a lot of concerns with COVID right now, Lance, and injuries as fighters haven't been training as much. Um, that's our show for today. We'll be back next week. If you're enjoying the show, wherever you're listening, whether it's Apple, Spotify, please do like, rate, and leave a comment. It helps us out a lot. It makes sure that podcasts like this continue to be produced you can also follow our work over at the athletic and you can save 40 percent off of a subscription for the first year by visiting theathletic.com slash hug and cop again that's theathletic.com forward slash hug and cop all one word for 40 percent off